Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Amanda. Amanda is suffering with frequent colds and sinus infections, especially around her menstrual cycle. She is also often cold and has cold hands and feet, and she carries a lot of tension in her neck and shoulders, which leads to constant headaches. She was so fed up with not feeling well all the time. Her hunch was that it had something to do with her hormones since she was getting sick around her period, and so she had seen five different gynecologists. However, after running lots and lots of blood tests, she was told her hormones are fine and no one can find the cause of her issues. This is when she came to see me. After I evaluated all the labs she had done, I saw that they were all in range. However, my definition of comprehensive labs is a bit different. And while her doctors did run her hormones, they didn't run them on the right day of her cycle, and they only tested her sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, missing many of the other things that could be related to her issues. My sense was that it was not her sex hormones that were creating the issue, but rather something upstream that was affecting them and other hormones leading to her tension and immune challenges. And so we really needed to dig further to solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about all of the issues Amanda was experiencing, and joining me on the show today to talk more about this case is Dr. Amir Rashidian. Dr. Amir is the founder of the Mid-Atlantic Chiropractor Center, where he focuses on high-tech diagnostics to detect and correct disturbances in the nervous system. Dr. Amir and his associates promote drugless health solutions and work with patients to eliminate the causes of disease and not merely the suppression of symptoms. Dr. Amir, I'm so excited to have you. Welcome. I'm excited as well. Thank you very much. Of course. So when people deal with multiple ailments, this is something that we see a lot. It's all too common these days. And while these ailments don't often seem related, everything in the body is really quite connected. So finding the common denominator is so important. And one thing that can often be a driver of multiple symptoms is sympathetic overdrive. But it's not something that's typically recognized right away. And I find that people end up spending a lot of time, you know, figuring out what's going on. So can you tell us a little bit about 
What is sympathetic overdrive? You know, we all have this mechanism uh, that's built into us. You know, if you want to simplify it, we can call it our innate wisdom. It's something we're born with. We, we naturally know how to do certain procedures and, and, and processes inside the body without even thinking about it or being taught that. And being in that fight or flight response is one of those. Your, your nervous system perceives your environment. You're always taking in information. Even if you're not consciously paying attention to it, right now, if I mention your feet, you can think about your feet. If I mention your, you know, uh, your, your skin of your hands or whatever it might be or the temperature of the room, but you weren't paying attention to it a minute ago, your body's always taking in information through all your senses. And then your nervous system will process that information and determine how do I need to respond to this. If you step outside in the winter, it's very cold outside, let's say, depending on where you live, uh, your, your body instantly says, okay, I've got to maintain my temperature at 98.6. So it's going to go to work and bring things up and it's going to increase metabolism to raise your temperature and maintain it at that 98.6. And likewise, if it's 100 degrees outside and you're going to do certain things to cool your body down to make sure it's in a healthy state. state. States of stress are very similar to that. So let's say you and I are talking right now and all of a sudden the room starts to shake. Uh, the ceiling tiles start falling. The, the window starts to break. And you say, oh, this is probably an earthquake. Well, it, you're probably not going to stay calm during that situation. You're probably going to uh, experience dilation of your pupils. Um, your, your face will turn pale depending on your skin color. You know, I, I'm dark skin, but, you know, skin, uh, uh, your, your blood leaves your skin. Your blood leaves your hands and feet. It goes to the larger muscles. It instantly will stop your um digestive processes, if you were in the middle of digesting your, your lunch or dinner, it's going to stop doing that. Um, it, it, it's going to focus all its attention and energy to either running away or doing something to defend yourself. Or if it's really extreme, you could freeze in that state, not know what to do. But either way, you're not going to continue to relax and then, uh, you know, digest your food, you'll breathe a little heavier. Your blood pressure will go up, your heart rate will go up, and your body will actually begin to release sugar into your bloodstream because you're going to need that energy. That being an extreme example of sympathetic overdrive, that usually will end when the earthquake ends and a typical earthquake doesn't last more than a few seconds. So then you go, okay, I'm all right. Everything's okay. I didn't die. Um, let's see what the damage is and let's move on. But what about the person uh, who's you know, listening to us right now, and uh, let's say he or she has a stressful job, and uh, they need to get get to work by driving through rush hour traffic. Uh, you, you know, in in today's environment, maybe that's not necessarily the case. A lot of people are working from home, but but if you weren't, you're already in a stressed state just being in rush hour traffic. And and if you're uh, running late, you're going to be in more sympathetic overdrive when you get to work. And let's say you've got a ton of work to to get through. And at the end of the day, let's say it's time to go home and your boss comes over and drops another stack of papers on your desk and says, you can't leave till you finish this. And and you end up working late an extra couple hours. And when you get home, your spouse and significant others getting mad at you saying, why are you home late again? I had to put the kids to bed by myself, you know, and your dinner is cold and they're yelling at you. So you never got that chance to calm down. Now you go to bed trying to go to sleep. You're tired. You had a long, hard day. You, you, you had your boss yelling at you all day. You came home and your spouse is yelling at you in the, in the evening. <laughs> you put your head on your pillow 
uh, and you say, I'm too tired to fall asleep. That is sympathetic overdrive. That's when you go, I'm exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind keeps running through these thoughts and ideas and I can't shut it down. Well, imagine this. If, if your body thinks you're being chased by that proverbial saber-toothed tiger, then you can't stop and take a nap. You wouldn't be allowed to. You'd be, you, you, you think you're going to get eaten. It's the same thing. Your body still thinks in that primitive state. In fact, your neocortex shuts down. The blood leaves the parts of your brain that can think logically more so, and it goes into that primitive part that's always thinking about your needs, you know, uh, uh, hunger and air, and, and, and you're running away from danger. So uh, now, now let's take that one step further. So first we had the earthquake, which lasted a few seconds. Now we have an all-day situation. But what if this is your life day after day after day? So now you're in that state of sympathetic overdrive for an extended period of time, period of time. And I think throughout this conversation, we'll be able to really break that down and, and, and talk about what happens to your body, why you can't be in that state so long, what are your food cravings, what are the things that are going to happen from a uh, medical standpoint in your body clinically, and how to recognize those symptoms and how to combat them. So hopefully that's a good enough introduction for that sympathetic overdrive. It absolutely is. Thank you so much for that. And I think what's really interesting here is our body is so amazing. It's how it reacts and responds. But most people, they can understand, okay, there's an earthquake or I'm being chased by someone or, you know, we're driving and there's a cop behind us, right? We get that response, but we don't often think about the daily things. Like you said, your boss being demanding or someone, you know, potentially yelling at you, you know, it's something we're so used to and it happens day in and day out that we don't think that it causes the same response, but it does. And I think that's what's really, really important to recognize. So, Dr. Amir, when someone is in sympathetic overdrive, and as you mentioned, you know, there's things that can happen afterwards, how long can someone last in that state? I mean, obviously everyone's different, but what happens if this goes on and on? What are some of the other stages that will happen after this? That's, that's a great question. And, and I want to premise that by saying everybody's a little different because we all have different adaptive potentials. Right? By that, I mean, we all have the ability to adapt to our environment. Adaptation is when you go to the gym and you lift weights, your muscles get bigger and stronger. Uh, so, so, um, so do your bones, so do your tendons, so do, so do your joints, everything adapts to that stress, that load. If you, if you live in an environment that's, that's really cold, you're going to be able to tolerate cold better than someone who lives in an environment that's always warm. So, so that adaptive potential is different for everybody. One of the goals we have for our patients and our practices, let's increase your adaptability to your environment. And, and, and increasing adaptability is increasing your resilience, increasing your ability to tolerate stress. Because my firm belief is that how healthy you are is determined exactly by how much stress you can safely handle. So you, you've got the college student who goes through final exams, you know, and, 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 and let's say she takes her last final exam and comes down with a sinus infection or, or a massive cold or the flu or, or nowadays we're all worried about the COVID-19. Uh, so all of that hits you harder and worse when you've passed your stress threshold. So long term, what's going to happen? Well, uh, exactly that. 
chronic infections, chronic sinus infections, uh, chronic insomnia. You always need some kind of uh, supplement or medication to be able to fall asleep even though you're exhausted. Uh, if you let that go for a long time, so in, initially you're going to be wired all the time, really wired. Like, like you've got a lot of energy, you're looking around, you're always uh, heightened, you're always aware of your environment, you, you, you maybe have some mood swings, some irritability, uh, anger, so on. But then as that lasts longer and longer, you're wired and tired. Uh, that's the person you're, 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 you know, people say, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm tired. Uh, and we hear that so much in society today. Mm-hmm. Really, the, the funny thing is the, the most common answer to how you doing used to be fine. Thank you. How are you? Now it's I'm either busy or I'm tired. That is so true. <laughs> so, um, but so, so the, you know, if that's you and you're really tired now, but you're still wired because you can't fall asleep easily at night, you're starting to go into that next stage where, where things are starting to affect you. And then the last stage is exhaustion when you keep falling asleep. Now you're so tired, you can drink a full cup of coffee after dinner, go to bed, and now you have no trouble sleeping. The coffee is not waking you up anymore. You could be sitting in a movie watching a very exciting, action-packed movie, and 10 minutes into the movie, you're out. You're sleeping. Can't stay awake. You're, you, you could fall asleep standing up. You know That's exhaustion. That's when your adrenals are just tired. They, they, they're, they're done producing adrenaline. They're done, they're done keeping you up. And uh, that's actually a very dangerous state because uh, heart disease is going to be next. So we really need to be watching for that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some symptoms. And do you find that other symptoms that are associated with the different stages, like you mentioned, obviously, you know, being very wired in the first one, but are there any other symptoms with that? And then as we get into the second stage and the third, what are some of the things that people would experience? A very common one that everyone would notice and some of the audience can probably relate to is sugar cravings. You're going to get lots of sugar cravings, especially in that state of being wired. You're, you're upset or angry. You're, you're, you're in that wired state. You're in that excited state. Your body needs more energy. And, and the fastest burning fuel is going to be sugar. So you're going to crave a lot of sugar. Your blood sugar will fluctuate a lot. You get lightheaded when you don't eat. And, and then you become dependent on that sugar. That's that's the person, if they see a bowl of candy on the table, they, they won't be able to just eat one. They'll eat the whole bowl. And, and then they'll be mad at themselves for doing it. But they, they really couldn't stop. Then then when, when you get a little further into it, because the body now requires triglycerides, uh, which is the building block to the cells of your body, but also it's the precursor to the hormones of your body, like uh, testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and growth hormone and uh, cortisol and all these all these uh, hormones in the body and neurotransmitters. A lot of them do use co- uh, cholesterol to, to do the functions that they're doing. They, they need it to be replenished. And so the body will increase cholesterol production. Your liver produces 75% of the cholesterol in your body. And if you're not eating cholesterol in your diet, then the liver will produce 100% of it, but it'll determine and decide for you that you need more cholesterol. So cholesterol is going to go up, which means you're going to start craving not just sugar, but also fat. You're going to start craving fatty sugar. And and the foods now you're looking at are donuts and ice cream. You suddenly all of a sudden keep wanting donuts and ice cream <laughs> every day. And, and if you let that go for a while and the adrenals start to fatigue, you'll still crave the sugar. 
and the donuts and the ice cream, but now you also want salty foods. Now you suddenly you, you need pretzels and potato chips as well because now you need the minerals to support your adrenals and maybe even the thyroid gland. Uh, salty salt, salty foods that have iodine in it that can activate that thyroid hormone. And so, so anyways, your body kind of knows what it's doing and it's going to try to give you these short-term fixes, but eventually it's going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing how the body knows, but yes, we still want to support it. And what about the immune system? Because that is something that Amanda was dealing with. Um, and for her, it especially happened around her menstrual cycle. So, you know, she was under a lot of stress. She was in sympathetic overdrive. And then during her menstrual cycle, it was even more stressful for her just from a physical perspective. But can you talk a little bit about that immune system connection? One of the main supporters of your, uh, immune system is your adrenals in, in, in kind of an indirect fashion because your adrenals help you sustain your energy levels. So your immune system is one of the systems in your body that requires a lot of energy. If we are in a state, so for example, you ever wonder where the flu virus goes in the summers? You know, most people can't get the flu in the winter, not in the summer. You know, well, where does it go? Does it migrate south? Does it migrate north? Does it does it hibernate in the summer? <laughs> where does it go? I mean, it, and and then you go. It, it has to still be there because there are some people who get sick in the summer too, even when it's warm. So so what's wrong with those people? And and those are the people whose adrenals are weaker. Those are the people who are under stress. So, so I, I can, I can pretty much guarantee that if I pull an all nighter, let's say two nights in a row where I don't sleep the two nights in a row, I'm going to be sick the next day. I, I can just guarantee it. And, and, uh, some of our audience right now can probably relate to this where, where you say, okay, I'm going on vacation. And, uh, although, y- you know, uh, I don't know how moms do it because you probably don't get a whole lot of sleep with the baby. Uh, but for some reason you're, you're a lot stronger. I don't know if it's, if it's different hormones, the oxytocin that's in the body when, when you're nursing or something, but that aside, let's say you're going on vacation and, and you're leaving, let's say Friday and you, you have to get twice the work done this week to get ready for leaving because you don't want to leave anything undone. You know, uh, when you get on vacation, when you get to paradise, wherever vacation is, you're sick, you're because you just burned up that extra energy. So um, adrenals are connected to how well you sleep, how much you sleep. And when you don't sleep properly, then your adrenals start to decline and your immune system starts to decline and then you get sick. So that's kind of how it's uh, how it's connected. And it's not always sleep. It's cold temperatures because uh, like we talked about earlier, if it's really cold and your body says, I'm going to dedicate all my energy to maintaining body temperature. And so the thing they get sacrificed ends up being the immune system, which is why in the summers you typically don't get a, don't catch a cold and you don't get the flu because in the summer you don't have to spend a lot of energy maintaining your body temperature. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And I definitely can understand what you're saying and, you know, have a lot of similar stories. If I don't sleep and I'm someone who really requires sleep, I need nine hours of sleep a night. Um, just, I have Hashimoto's. I don't know if you knew that. So I talk a lot about thyroid and autoimmunity on the show. And if I don't sleep nine hours, I don't feel well. Sometimes I don't get sick right away, but I actually have physical manifestations of 
the sleep deprivation. And interesting, you mentioned with the baby, I think that there must be some type of, whether it's like you said, oxytocin or just other hormones that are released that help um, just because, you know, somehow we do it. Though I have to say that my baby was, when she was about three weeks old, my son brought a cold home. You know, it was like September. It was, you know, the first month of school after, you know, not being anywhere for a while. And everyone in the family got the cold. And it was like a minor cold. He was over it in probably a day and a half. My husband had a little something. wasn't a big deal. I got it as a fever. I don't get fevers. But for me, like I was just sleep deprived, you know, recovering from a C-section, all of that. And that's how it manifests. I mean, thankfully, after a couple of days, we were all fine. And it was just a cold. But it just really goes to show. And I can really understand what you're saying. And I think a lot of people listening probably understand that and experience that. But I think it's just so important to remember that this energy that your body needs and that's related to your adrenals, that's going to directly impact so many things, especially the immune system. And it's something we need to really be mindful, especially right now as we're in COVID times. Exactly. Protect your sleep at all costs. Protect your thyroid, like you said. Yeah. Now, what about cold hands and feet? Um, I know in the pre-chat, we were talking about one of your patients and you know she experienced a lot of different symptoms, but that was one of them. How does that relate to sympathetic overdrive and adrenals? It's because blood leaves your smaller um, capillaries, smaller blood vessels. All of those blood vessels constrict. So your arteries actually are muscles. And, and, and they can dilate and constrict based on uh, what the nervous system tells them. An example is if, if I get embarrassed, I'll turn red, you know, and, and, and that's natural. So, so why, why does my face turn red is because somehow my neurologic response to an embarrassing situation is that the blood vessels in my face will dilate and more blood goes to my face. All of a sudden you turn red and when you get scared, you turn pale white because all those blood vessels constrict, but it's not just in the face, it's your hands and feet also. Those blood vessels constrict and they send blood away. Why would it do that? Well, it's your protective mechanism because uh, you want more blood to go to the larger muscles of your body because by definition, fight or flight requires big muscles. You need big muscles to fight. You need big muscles to flee, to run away. And so, you know, your 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 thighs, your glutes, you know, um, your, your arms, your pectorals, all of those bigger muscles get a little engorged with extra blood so that you'll be able to run away or use those muscles. And, and that's the main reason why. Now, now that's a short-term response, right? But we talked about how when we have that sympathetic overdrive, chronic sympathetic overdrive, those are the people who have cold hand, cold feet all the time. But let's say someone's really nervous about getting on stage and doing some public speaking. It's the same thing. The entire time they're on stage, their hands are going to be cold. Their feet will be cold and you know they'll kind of shake a little bit because they you know they're nervous and and all of that is part of that same fight or flight response and last thing i would say about that is if this is you know if 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 the people listening if if this is something you deal with where you're nervous a lot or you have anxiety or you worry about things it's the same thing it's it's the perception of something bad is about to happen and you're you're anxious and nervous about it but the body doesn't know the difference between excitement and worry. And so if you start to ask yourself the question, what am I excited about? 
Why am I feeling so excited? Maybe something good's about to happen. You could break that cycle when it comes to your emotional patterns that you can get stuck in. And you can still, uh, you could still feel the same symptoms because, you, you know, uh, I have three young boys. And uh, if I go home tonight and tell them we're going to Disneyland tomorrow or we're going to Disney, Disneyland is closed because of COVID. So we're going to Disney World tomorrow. You know, I don't think they're going to be able to sleep. They'll stay awake all night because they're too excited. But that's not anxiety. That's excitement. But their body acts exactly the same. It's the same excitement. And so we got to flip that switch and realize what it is that we're excited about. And maybe now at this, this might be the time where you start talking about what should we do? Is there, is there a technique? Is there a breathing technique? Is there a visualization technique that we can bring us out of that symptom? Is there uh, supplements we can take and so on? Yeah. And I want to get into that. I wanted to ask you first, though, if someone wants to know if they really are in sympathetic overdrive, because as you mentioned before, how we adapt and deal with stress is what's going to determine how healthy we are. So people definitely want to know where they are. And there's a lot of different testing options out there. What type of tests do you use, if any, and how do you help people figure out if they're having an issue here? My favorite test when it comes to that is heart rate variability. And there's many different devices to test heart rate variability. The one we use in our office tells tells you if the pattern of heart rhythm that you have at this moment is in sympathetic or parasympathetic. Parasympathetic being rest and repair. Some people call it rest and digest or or wine and dine. That's when you, you ate a big Thanksgiving meal and you had a glass of wine, you're sitting on the couch and, and you, your eyelids feel really heavy. That's, that's far uh, parasympathetic. And so this heart rate variability that we use, not only does it tell your overall autonomic tone, which means your overall adaptability to the stress in your life. And we have a scale, it's, it's a, between zero and 100. So if you score 100, that means you can handle all the stress in your life just fine. And then, it, then we have another balanced scale where uh, if, it's, if it's maybe a positive number, you're, you're far to the, um, uh, in the sympathetic side. And if it's negative number, you're real far into parasympathetic. Typically, if at rest, you're in parasympathetic, that's a sign of exhaustion. That's a sign that your adrenals are, are really tired. Gotcha. And is this something that shows what's happening in the moment or does it give a bigger picture? Because when you're at somewhere to get tested, you know, depending on maybe what you were doing before or what you're thinking about, would that affect it? It can. So we typically say don't drink coffee before we do your heart rate variability test and um, don't take any other s stimulants. Um, but for the most part, it, it's not a, uh, it's, it's very repetitive, uh, reproducible, I should say. Meaning if I, if I test you today and test you again tomorrow, your score will be almost identical. I've never seen a change in short term the tests that we use. Now, there are other versions of heart rate variability that do vary through, uh, day to day. For example, um, ultimate fighting championships, you know, U UFC fighters in, in mar mixed martial arts. It used to be that some of these uh, great champions who are scheduled to have these big, you know, multi-million dollar fights, uh, they would train so hard that a couple weeks before the fight, they would get injured. 
because now they're sparring in practice against higher level fighters and now they're getting injured and they they wanted to know how do we prevent these injuries they started doing heart rate variability tests every single day and and uh, i think the formula they use is is a little different but their test uh had these it's like color so if if the, they do heart rate variability and their, their result is green, they say, all right, you're healthy. Today, we're going to push so hard, you're going to be throwing up in the back. I mean, it's we're, we're going to train as hard as we possibly can. We're going to push you to the limits. If it's yellow, they say, looks like you haven't recovered fully from yesterday's workout, so we're going to take it easy today. If it's red, you say, go home. We're not training at all today. If we do something, you're going to get hurt. And Mm. that has really helped some of these MMA fighters to be able to stay healthy. Oh, yeah. I could see that. That makes a lot of sense. Do you ever use cortisol testing, whether saliva or urine or anything to look at neurotransmitters? I'm just curious. I like to, to, uh, I haven't looked specifically at the neurotransmitters, but I have looked at cortisol patterns throughout the day using saliva. And and I think it's a very uh, telling test because uh, if you're healthy and, and normal, your cortisol levels should be extremely high first thing in the morning. In fact, that's what wakes you up. If if you're one of those people who doesn't need an alarm clock, you know, right when, right when your uh, nine hours are up, if you wake up and you don't need uh, you don't need that alarm clock, then uh, that, that means y- your cortisol got up to where it's supposed to be and that woke you up. And then cortisol should slowly start dipping down and then at nighttime, when it's time to go to sleep, it should be all the way at the bottom. And, uh, and that's, that's what allows you to be able to fall asleep. So if you're naturally, your circadian rhythm is normal and, and you're not watching the news at night before you go to sleep, your cortisol levels will stay low and you'll be able to sleep well. Right. Now, do you find that when you do heart rate variability, have you ever done the cortisol test on the same person? Does it correlate? It does. It does correlate. Yeah. We see people whose cortisol levels are low in the morning, you know, and then they spike midday or they spike it in the, in the evening or, or, or late in the day. And we really need to figure out what that is. And those are people who are, uh, who, whose, um, autonomic tone, overall autonomic tone is lower than what it should be. And they also happen to be the ones that have the dry eyes, dry mouth, dry skin, cold hands, cold feet, chronic sinus infections and constipation and indigestion. So they're clearly stuck in that sympathetic pattern. Now, if someone is interested in getting a heart rate variability test, is that something that they would need to see someone for or is there a way they could do it on their own? That's a good question. I don't know the answer. Uh, I I think there are devices you can purchase that are uh, fairly inexpensive. Um, you, you just put, put your finger in it and it measures the space between your pulse. So, so the way heart rate variability works is back in the seventies, uh, uh, or it may have been sixties, uh, cardiologists were trying to design what's called a pacemaker. And you, you, I'm sure you've heard of this. The pacemaker is uh, attached to the heart and it regulates the rhythm of your heart. Well, the initial, the first pacemaker they ever invented made your heart beat one beat per second. And when they attached that to the heart, the heart exploded. It couldn't sustain life. It, it, it kept dying. They couldn't figure out what's going on. So they started doing a deeper study on actual heart rhythm of healthy patients. And they found that there's a random vari- variability in that heart rhythm, meaning if one beat to the next is one second that one to, to, to the beat after that was 1.01 second. And the one to the next one was 
0.99 second. And, and the more random, meaning there was no pattern to the rhythm, the more random that variability was, the healthier the patient was. So they programmed, computer programmed random variability into the pacemaker. And now we can have pacemakers put on people's hearts and their heart's uh, rhythm stays normal and sustains it. So so really what heart rate variability is, it's checking to see how random that variability is. Any device can do that. You, I'm sure you can, if, if it's got a little algorithm that can measure the time space between those heartbeats, it can be as, uh, as simple as, an, as a portable EKG unit. It can tell you you know, whether you have that heart rate variability or not. And very, the way I explain it to, to people is it's very ability, your ability to vary your heart rate. So, so your heart rate should never be the same. You, you have to, if, if something crazy is going on, your heart rate needs to be able to go up. And when you're happy and calm down, your heart rate needs to be able to come down. So if you have the ability to vary your heart rate, you have good heart rate variability. It's good to know that there might be a way people can do it on their own. It, you know, for some people who listen here, they may not have a practitioner. So it's something they could look into that potentially may be inexpensive to do. Absolutely. I'm sure you could find something. So let's talk about interventions, because obviously this is a very important thing that we need to get under control and we want to make sure that we're not in sympathetic overdrive. And we talked about the three different stages. So first, let's talk about some of the things that we can do no matter what stage we're in. And then we can maybe go into specifics depending on the stage. You, you know, there's there's seven simple things that I rely on. I think they're, they're all impactful. They're all important. Uh, but if we had to pick just maybe, and, and I'll go over all seven with you. But if I said, hey, let, let's pick two big ones. You know, if you do nothing else, but you do these two big ones. Okay, let's make it three. There's three big ones I'm going to give you that you have to implement to do this. Sleeping breathing and eating. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, that covers everything, but uh, there's more actually sleep. How you sleep is more important than how long you sleep, you know? So, so first off, you know that your body requires nine hours. Uh, I've, I would like to sleep more than six hours. I never sleep more than six hours. I have too much to do. So as I, I go to bed at, at 11, I'm up at five. I'm not advocating that, but I also know that there are, um, Navy SEALs and, and Marines and, you know, some of these um, high level, um, you know, military people who can sleep 15 minutes and, and function for a week. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not advocating that either, but they have trained to be able to do that. They've put their bodies through certain trainings to be able to handle that. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to be tired and exhausted, but they can do things that I could never do on only 15 minutes of sleep. So, what you have to do is make sure your your cortisol levels are correct, like we talked about earlier. Don't watch the news in the evening. Don't do anything to raise your cortisol levels in the evenings. Uh, don't exercise late in the day. Exercise raises your cortisol levels. So don't exercise in the evening. And then melatonin levels go up when the temperature goes down, when the light goes down. So so don't have too many bright lights in the evening in your house. Uh, you dim all the lights when when a couple hours before bedtime. Dim all the lights, lower the temperature. Uh, let it get cooled. Um, you know, like 65 degrees, uh, uh, 67 degrees, uh, you know, not, not freezing cold, but cold, you know, and that'll kind of start your melatonin levels going up right before you go to sleep. Uh, and then, um, uh, we, we talked about breathing. Obviously you want to be comfortable. So you got to have the right mattress and the pillow and all that stuff. 
to breathing is is tremendous because to me it's almost like the gateway between controlling that automatic parts of your nervous system and your voluntary nervous system voluntary being you can you know i'm controlling what i'm saying i'm controlling my hand and leg movements that's voluntary so so the other side is involuntary but all the breathing is it can cross that because if you're not thinking about it i'm sure you're still breathing but your breathing pattern changes when you get stressed when you're nervous when you're worried when you're anxious when you're upset breathing pattern tends to become a one-to-one ratio what do i what do i mean it means if it takes you two seconds to inhale, it'll take you two seconds to exhale. It's a one-to-one ratio, two seconds in, two seconds out. But if in an, but if you're in a normal pattern of breathing, you're not anxious, nervous, upset, or angry, the breathing pattern is a one-to-two ratio, meaning if it takes you two seconds to inhale, it'll always take you twice as long to exhale. And exhale is parasympathetic, inhale is sympathetic. Think about this. You know, we talked about that earthquake, right? If there's an earthquake, you're not going to breathe a sigh of relief. You are going to gasp for air. Your body wants, in fact, think about asthma. Asthma is constriction of bronchioles. What makes them dilate is albuterol, the inhalers, and the inhaler actually sends your body into sympathetic overdrive. It makes you more alert. And and when you're scared, your bronchioles dilate naturally, automatically. And and you get more air. So bronchioles will, will dilate in that situation and you gasp. Something scary happens. Someone jumps in front of you. You're driving. You know, someone jumps in front of you. You're going to gasp for air. Hard, fast inhale sends you. In fact, if you want to release a lot of adrenaline in your body right now, do a double inhale. A quick inhale and followed by another inhale without exhaling, that increases your adrenaline levels right away. Um, if uh, There are a lot of studies that talk about how hard, fast inhale and exhale, uh, 20 to 30 breaths of that uh, send you into uh, increased sympathetic response, which initially does boost your immune system. It initially does increase your strength. A lot of power lifters will do it to be able to lift more weight. Um but, but if we want to go away from sympathetic, you have to do slow exhales where you breathe in and let's say you count to five while you're breathing in, count to 10 while you're exhaling and make sure you exhale slow enough to not run out of air until you hit 10. Five in, 10 out. Do 10 breaths of five in, 10 out. And you'll fall asleep. If you have problems with insomnia, if you're one of those people who says you're, you're too tired to fall asleep, it's because you're in sympathetic overdrive. And if you do that breathing technique, you'll be able to fall asleep. Uh, and there, there's a whole lot more when it comes to breathing. I, I wrote about it extensively in, in, in my two books, but I want to move on to eating. Eating is, is so critical because just like how I said how you sleep is more important than how long you sleep. How you eat is more important than what you eat. And, and I, I, I know a lot of the audience right now are cringing going, what are you saying? I can eat whatever I want. Yeah, if, if, if you eat it the right way, it's not going to be as bad for you. I am so glad you're saying this because I talk about this a lot. And obviously, as a nutritionist, I always talk about what to eat. But we've had a couple of shows you know, where we specifically look at in what state are you eating. So tell us more about that because people want to know. Yeah, very. Well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that that, that, that you're on board with that. Uh, so so I can eat something extremely healthy. And and you go ahead and define what, what healthy to you is, all the people listening. you know, If, if you think um, uh, chicken and broccoli is, is healthy, 
uh, I won't argue with you. It is. Uh, but let's say you're eating chicken and broccoli, but you're, but, but you're on the phone with a business associate. You're yelling at them. You're negotiating a deal while you're driving in rush hour traffic. And you're, you're upset about being late for something and, and you're angry at the other drivers and your stuff in your mouth while you're going through all this stuff. You are in sympathetic overdrive. You cannot process food in that state. Whatever you eat is poison. Whatever you eat will sit in your stomach. It will ferment and it will rot. And by the time it gets into your intestines and starts being absorbed into your bloodstream, it's not good for you anymore. It doesn't matter what you ate. Mm-hmm. You look at the, the French paradox. Uh, as, as I'm sure you know French paradox refers to the French. They're all immune to heart disease. Uh, I went to uh, Paris for three weeks. I had a friend of mine who was living there. And uh, so I stayed with all the locals for, for three weeks and, uh, and I'm watching the way they eat and they all eat wine, cheese, and bread every single day. So here in America, we go, what cheese, bread, wine, and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and none of them have heart disease. Why, why is it? Why don't they, why don't any of them have heart disease? And in fact, if you saw someone who's overweight or obese, they were probably a tourist from America <laughs> and they were not French. <laughs> That's right. So how is that? And it's because they, they sit down in a relaxed state when they eat. Eating is almost sacred to them. You know, in kindergarten here, they tell the kids, don't talk, eat your food. Stop talking, eat. You have 20 minutes to eat your food, eat your food, don't talk. In France, in kindergarten, they teach the kids, don't eat so fast. Talk to your friends. Mm. It's the exact opposite. Talk to your friends because they know the value and the importance. It's a cult- cultural thing for them is you don't eat without friends. Right. No, that's, that's such a good point, right? Because I remember even my son, he's four, he's in preschool. He tells me, don't give me two snacks. Just give me one because it takes too long to eat two. And I have to go to my next, you know, wherever their next center, wherever they're going. So yeah, but you know what you're talking about, and I'm so glad that you're mentioning this. This could be an issue if someone is trying to eat healthy and they can do themselves a disservice. And I see this time and time again with a lot of the clients that I see, you know, whether someone is on a a restricted diet due to food allergies or sensitivities or intolerances, you know, and there's a lot of people who, you know, may need to be gluten and dairy free, but sometimes it goes further. They may have issues with histamines or oxalates or salicylates, you name it. And so they have certain foods that they can't eat. And there are times where people tell me, well, there was nothing else available and I decided to have it and I felt so terrible. I was so nervous to eat it. And then after I beat myself up about it, and this is where I would say, well, you know, if you're going to have it, enjoy it then. Because when you're so nervous about it, it's going to do much more harm to you than if you were just to eat it in a relaxed state. 100%. 100%. Enjoy it. In fact, start enjoying it before you start eating. So I have a very busy practice. I, I, we have two locations. We have three doctors. Uh, we have we see hundreds of pa- hundreds of patients, you know, uh, on a weekly basis. And there are days where I only have uh, fifteen to twenty minutes to eat my lunch. So so my routine is I I go and sit at my desk, but I'm not I'm not working. Uh, in fact, my desk is clean and clear, no papers on it, nothing. I'll play some classical music, some Baroque classical music, and I'll put my food out in front of me and I'll just sit there for a second, act like I have all day to eat it. I'll take a couple of deep breaths and I'll, I'll say a little prayer of gratitude. I'll listen to that music. I'll just, I'll imagine that there's no work to be done and I'm all done for the day and I'll slowly start eating and my 15 minutes is up. 
doesn't matter how much food I got in. I know the amount that I got in is going to be processed properly. Then I'll pack it all up, put it back in the fridge, go back to work. And, and I believe that gets me more uh, nutrition and is healthier for me than if I try to say, hey, I need this many, this many proteins and this many carbs and I better eat it really fast because you only have 15 minutes. I don't think that's going to do well for yeah, that's a really, really nice practice. And I hope that's something our listeners can take away because I think that most of us tend to eat in a hurry these days. And even especially now, when we're working from home, we think that we will have more time, but there's just more to do <laughs> because it's, you know, work stuff and then home stuff. And, you know, I know I'm kind of running around grabbing stuff. So it's a very good reminder. And another thing also, when we talked about breath, and I agree with you so much, I mean, breath is just so important. And I think people need to be mindful of how they breathe. But so often people say, oh, we'll just do some deep breathing. And I'm so glad that you're mentioning what they found in the study when you're inhaling quickly and then exhaling quickly that yes, that may give you energy, but it does put you in sympathetic overdrive. Because so often when people are stressed and they say, okay, I got to deep breathe. And they're like, <gasps> <gasps> right? Like that doesn't help. So it's that, you know, doubling the exhale. I just think that's so, so helpful. Or even doing some type of a box breathing. I think that could be so, so beneficial. So thank you for mentioning that. Absolutely. You know, and the nice part about the box breathing is that it, it, there's times where you're holding your breath and that allows oxygen saturation because if, if you're breathing in, as soon as you breathe in, you're exhaling it, then you're not giving all the oxygen a chance to transfuse into your blood and get all the carbon dioxide out. And, and there, there's something, uh, just a fun fact about breathing. Uh, a, a little while ago, uh, there was a gentleman who had lost 100 pounds uh, through you know diet and exercise. And he, he asked his doctor, where did the fat go? Where, where, where does fat go when, when you lose it? And, and his doctor didn't know. And he ended up doing this long research. It got published in New England Journal of Medicine. So it ended up being published in a very prestigious peer-reviewed uh, magazine. And uh, the bottom line was they, when they asked a bunch of physical therapists, nutritionists, and medical doctors, and other practitioners, uh, even uh, personal trainers, where does fat go when you burn it? The answers were like, oh, you, you, you excrete it, you burn it as heat, you sweat it out, you, you know, uh, feces. Whatever. And, and the correct answer actually is you breathe it out. Because when oxygen goes in, it, it connects to, now we know how the mitochondria works and all that stuff to the electron transport chain and creating energy and ATP and all that. But the byproduct of that is um, water and carbon dioxide and, and carbon dioxide exits your body through your lungs. So uh, every molecule of triglycerides, every fat molecule has 52 carbons in it. So 52 molecules of carbon dioxide, when they come out, you just lost one molecule of fat. So you exhale. And when you exhale properly and allow for full oxygen saturation through your breathing technique, you actually burn fat. Yeah, that is fascinating. I think a lot of people don't realize that. So for everyone listening... If you want to lose weight, start breathing. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's step number one. What about other interventions? So we talked about some lifestyle things. Um, what about supplements? Do you use any supplements? And are there any that um, would be more fitting for the different stages of stress? Uh, for sure. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of supplements, uh, you, you know, and and I would kind of defer to you as as the expert when it comes to that. Some of the things I, I look at. 
um, when it comes to adrenals is maybe an herb like ashwagandha that can act like a tonic. Um, uh, but, but there's so many, there's so many other things. If you're just support, uh, you probably have proper minerals in your diet, um, trace minerals, you, you're going to have better adrenal function. I think, uh, supplementation should be whole food supplements. Um, not a fan of the synthetic or fractionated vitamins and so on. You know, I, I think there's, there's more to antioxidants than we understand at this point. There's, there's a difference between plant antioxidants and, animal antioxidants and and i think as, as animals uh, humans being animals uh, if we can look at them that way um we should be looking at different types of antioxidants like for example i think our mitochondria needs support uh there's uh, sulfur rich uh, vegetables that we should be eating that we probably don't eat enough of uh things like sea kelp that has a tremendous amount of um, minerals and iodine which you know which You've talked about thyroid plenty of times on your show here. You know, iodine is what cleaves that that T4 and makes it a T3, which is the active form of your thyroid hormone. If you're low on iodine, then you could have a perfectly functioning thyroid and it's still not going to support your um, metabolism the way it's supposed to. You know, one of the things we do is we put um, an iodine stain on the arm and we wash it. Um, and, and if it disappears in 12 hours, that means you're deficient in iodine. If it disappears in 24 hours, you might be mild, mildly deficient in iodine. It should be there still 24 hours later. It'll be faint, but it should still be there 24 hours later. Yeah, no, iodine is definitely important, and a lot of people are very deficient. Um, and yes, I use a lot of adaptogenic herbs as well. Um, I like using phosphatidylserine in that initial stage. Do you ever use that? In stage one, I have, I have, um, but again, I, I like to have uh, um, patients under supervision of someone like you uh, when it when it comes to some of those things, just because you know my expertise is more the nervous system and the uh, and the chiropractic side of things. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that because when we think about chiropractic. At least, you know, the average person, I always used to think that way. I used to go when I was younger. I would think, okay, well, my neck hurts, so I'm going to go and they'll crack some bones and do some stuff and my neck doesn't hurt anymore, right? But there's so much more to that. How is getting an adjustment and aligning everything properly related to the overall nervous system? Yeah, and there's three reasons to get an adjustment. One is if there's a misalignment like you're talking about, it's causing nerve interference, causing muscle tension and, and abnormal motion, you should obviously realign that bone. And and I believe it should be done underneath uh, under x-ray, uh, which means we, we, you, we do pre and post x-rays to see if we realign the bone that needed to be corrected mm. and, and check again to make sure it actually went to the right place. Um, then we also do tests like uh, electromyography and thermography because your nervous system affects blood flow around your spine. If there's temperature discrepancy where let's say the right side at, at the top of your uh, neck just below the skull, let's say it's warmer on the right compared to the left, that's abnormal blood flow. That means there's a nerve telling the blood vessel to constrict or dilate abnormally. So we'll, we'll measure those as well to see if before and after an adjustment things are changing. 
another reason to adjust the spine is let's say the bone is not misaligned but it's not moving properly it's stuck in a position you know every bone in your spine needs to do its part when you bend or extend or turn your head and so if one of them is not moving properly we need to unlock it and then we need to teach it how to move properly so that it's doing its part because sometimes arthritis is because of immobility i can put my elbow right now let's say i have a perfectly healthy elbow i can put in a cast immobilize it for a year and when I take the cast off that elbow will not be there it'll be one solid bone the bones will grow together into um, you know like bone spurs and they'll grow together and fuse so immobility needs to be checked on a regular basis in the spine but the most important part the reason to get adjusted is to stimulate different pathways to the brain because every part of your body every cell Every tissue and every organ is connected to your brain through the nervous system. There's a nerve that goes to every part of you and it controls that. These are two-way streets. Information is going from your liver to the brain and from your brain to the liver, to your kidneys, to your bladder. You know, we see children who have bedwetting issues. They can't go through one night without, uh, you know, having an accident, enuresis, and we'll start adjusting the nerve to the bladder or we'll start balancing their sympathetic nervous system, sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system through adjustment of the upper neck so that they can go into a deeper sleep. When they're sleeping in proper REM sleep, they're not going to have accidents, nighttime accidents. Uh, Everything is controlled. Those things are automatic, which means they're controlled by the autonomic nervous system. Every misalignment in the spine, whether it's trauma-related, repetitive microtrauma, or if it's the way we were born or something stuck in place, there will be a sympathetic response. The worse that misalignment, the worse that subluxation in the spine, the bigger sympathetic response you get. And that will suppress, just like we just talked about, it'll suppress the immune system, make the patient more susceptible to sickness and so on. And sometimes you can do all the breathing techniques and you can do all the sleep techniques and the eating and the supplementation and all that stuff. But if your nervous system doesn't know how to process what you're putting into it correctly, then it's not going to work for you. And that's the person who says, I tried all that. None of it worked. Well, let's start looking at the nervous system. Let's run those tests. Let's do some x-rays. Let's see if the bones in your spine are aligned properly. Let's realign them, re-x-ray, retest, and see if it starts to work better. Um, we've seen phenomenal results with our patients. Oh, that sounds amazing. I've actually never heard of doing x-rays before and after to see if it actually went in the right place. Because it's such a good point because if you think about it, you know, if there's like a lot of cracking happening, it's hard to know, like, is it actually going to where you want it to go? So that's really, really great that you do that. Oh, Dr. Amir, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for being here. And tell us a little bit more. I know you have two books. Tell us about those. And also tell us how can people connect with you? Uh, The first book is on Amazon. It was written about four years, four or five years ago. It's called The Stress-Proof Life. And it's everything we talked about today. Uh, That one's available right now. The second one is called Tame Your Stress Monkey. And uh, it's... I love that name. (laughs) It's almost a rewrite of the first book, but with with much more in-depth, updated um, data and information. It has not yet been published. And I unfortunately cannot tell you when it will be published. It's in the hands of my agent right now, and it's being shopped to the different... uh, publishers. So we'll see how that turns out. And I'm also working on a third book uh, called The Entrepreneur's Dilemma, because every entrepreneur burns the candle at both ends. 
And the criticism they typically get is, why do you work so hard? Why do you sacrifice your health? And I want to say, as, a, as an entrepreneur myself, I'd like to say, well, what, what use is health if it comes at the expense of my goals, my hopes, my dreams, and my future? The reason I want to be healthy is so I can do those things, so I can work hard and build my business and grow it and make an impact in the world and affect other people's lives. Otherwise, I don't even want to be healthy. So I'm one of those people who tends to work really hard and burns a candle at both ends, but I do it in a smart way. And so I want to write this book for the people who are thinking, okay, it, I don't want to sacrifice my business and my dreams and my hopes and my goals but I don't want to die in the process either. How do I do it? And we kind of say train like an athlete and prepare for it. So that's the third book will be coming out eventually. It's a great topic. Well, thank you. If you want to get in touch with me, um, my website, um, drrashidian.com. And you can spell out the doctor or you can just put DR. Both of them will take you to the same place. Um, our office uh, website is midatlanticclinic.com. And again, you can contact us through that. I put a lot of videos on YouTube. Uh, and our channel is called Real Chiropractic. Uh, so feel free to jump on there and comment on the videos and um, and uh, tell us what kind of videos you want to see and we'll we'll make some new ones for you. Well, that's wonderful. And I'll put all of this in the show notes as well, just so everyone listening can have that at their fingertips. Well, Dr. Amir, thank you so much for being here. This has been super helpful and eye-opening and I know it's going to help a lot of people. I really appreciate your time and hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Sympathetic dominance can affect almost everything when it comes to health, and it was a driving force in Amanda's issues. To help balance her body and support her immune system, we needed to address her adrenals and manage stress. While it may seem like her hormones were a play here because she got sick around her period, it was the adrenals that were out of balance and her stress bucket, so to speak, was very full. When it came time for her monthly cycle, the additional physical demand of that pushed her over the edge and her bucket overflowed. So our job together was to help her adrenals and lower her stress load, which would in turn help the hormones and prevent the overflow that led to her immune challenges. Now we have to remember that stress could be physical or emotional. And so the first thing that I did with Amanda is work on balancing her food. When we have blood sugar dysregulation, that is actually a huge physical stress on the body. So we talked a lot about making sure that she's eating regularly, not skipping meals, and that she's balancing her meals so that she wasn't carb loading and eating a meal that was really high in carbs without having protein. Instead, I had her do lean, healthy protein with lots of vegetables. And she was, of course, allowed to have a carb, but we balanced that with the protein and the fats and we kept it to the good comprehensive carbohydrates like beans, brown rice, quinoa, millet, and things like that. Now, we also worked on the lifestyle factors because when it comes to stress, food is important. And of course, there are supplements, which we did, which I'll go into in a second, but the lifestyle factors also play a huge role. So we worked on breath work. I taught her how to do the box breath, and there's lots of different ways that you guys can do it. But the easiest is if you're breathing in for a certain count, say a count of five, and then you're holding that for a count of five. You're breathing out slowly through the nose for a count of five, and then you're holding that for a count of five. And doing that about six or seven times, two to three times a day is very, very helpful. 
Amanda and I also talked about mindful eating, where she wasn't rushing through her meals. And if she was eating while working, I had her put the phone down, put her out of office on for 10 minutes or put something on her calendar where she would block off 10 to 15 minutes to eat. Because if you're eating and doing 20 other things, it's hard to digest your food and the body sees eating as a stressor rather than something that's going to be fueling and nourishing. I then worked with her on different styles of meditation. She said that she's not someone that can just sit and meditate, which I totally understand. However, meditation doesn't just have to be sitting and staring at the wall and making sure you don't think. That's actually very hard and really not even the point of meditation. So instead, we talked about meditation that is more moving. So meditation while walking, while of course then you're not focusing one thing, but if you are walking and looking at the trees or the pretty flowers, or say you're at the beach and you're looking at the sand or the water and listening to the sounds around you, it is a style of meditation. So if you're focusing on other things and really feeling in tune with those those things, that can be very helpful. And that resonated more with Amanda than just sitting quietly. I also worked with her on helping her to feel the energy of her body. And to do that, I would have her take all of her focus and attention and focus it on one area of the body, like her right hand. And then she would stay there for a minute or two and really feel what was happening in her right hand. And I'd have her tell me what she was feeling. So there was some tingling, there was some moving, she noticed some wave-like motions. And there's no right or wrong with this. It's whatever you're feeling, that's your energy. And then what we did is we felt her energy in the other hand, then we did her feet, and then we went all the way up her body until she was able to feel lots of movement and energy all over. And believe it or not, that can be considered almost a style of meditation as well, because in a way you are focusing on something else. So you're being very mindful. And all of those things were very, very helpful to calm her nervous system and help with stress. Now, in terms of supplements, there are a few supplements that I find very helpful. And for Amanda, we used phosphatidylserine. The one that I use is the PS150 from Designs for Health. I like that one because it's 150 milligrams and it also is soy-free. A lot of phosphatidylserine comes from soy, which isn't great for many people. So that's why I use this one. And I had Amanda take two capsules at dinner time. And what that does is that helps to naturally lower cortisol, especially in the evening where cortisol needs to be lower. And for a lot of people who are under stress, it spikes around that time. It helps to relax. It also helps to sleep. It's not a sleep aid, but it does help people get a more restful sleep and it prevents for many people waking up in the middle of the night. Amanda found that to be the case and she found it to be very relaxing. And then after six weeks of the PS150, we changed over to Adrenovive and that's by Orthomolecular and that is a combination of adaptogenic herbs. So once we got her cortisol lower at night, we then worked on the adaptogenic herbs. And what's nice about those is they work with what your adrenals are doing. So if your adrenals are a little bit upregulated, they help to bring them down. And if they're a little bit weak, it helps to bring them up and it kind of works with what you need day by day. And it is very supporting and very fueling to the adrenals, but neither one of those supplements are too stimulating. 
I always tell people you want to be careful about doing things that are too stimulating, especially in the beginning, because it's very important to calm the adrenals and show them that we're not in a burning building, that everything is okay. We are safe. Even if our energy isn't perfect, we want to calm first. And then once things are calm, we can then use certain adaptogenic herbs and adrenal glandulars that can help to bring it up. But for Amanda, just doing the PS150 followed by Adrenovive really helped to balance everything. And she felt so much better. Now for her cold hands and feet, when we ran blood work, we did see that some of her thyroid numbers were a little outside the optimal range. However, her TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, was in range and she did not have any thyroid antibodies. So it was really more of a subclinical thyroid issue. And what's interesting about thyroid is there's many different reasons as to why our thyroid can be off, but one of them is that if our adrenals are overtaxed and are out of balance, it would directly affect the thyroid. And so after we did all of this balancing, we retested her thyroid markers. And even though we did not do anything specific to thyroid, they were back in the optimal range, which made total sense. So after four months of balancing, Amanda saw less headaches. And in that fourth month, she didn't get a cold or a sinus infection. So she was obviously super excited. She also reported that her periods were a lot smoother. She actually didn't even know it was coming the next month. There was no PMS, no cramps, no other discomfort. The cold hands and feet went away and her energy was much more balanced. As you could see, everything in the body is interrelated and so many things affect so many other areas of the body. Sometimes it's easy and seems very common sense, but other times it may be a bit more complex and your issues could be due to a few different variables that all lead to each other. In either case though, please remember that most things are figure outable and you just have to look in the right place and dig a little deeper if you've not gotten to the root. So don't give up on your health issues. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you on the next episode of Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.